Welcome to the Safety Doc Podcast with your charismatic host and prominent safety expert, Dr. David Perotti. Be entertained and informed as the Safety Doc discusses both best and bizarre practices in safety preparation and crisis response. The truth will keep you safe. Follow Dr. Perodin on Twitter at SafetyPhD. This is Dr. David Perodin, and I want to thank you as we begin another journey into school and community safety. If you're looking for industrial safety expert, Appalachian State University professor, Dr. Timothy Ludwig, please visit www.safety-doc.com. Again, that's Dr. Timothy Ludwig at www.safety-doc.com. Everybody, happy new year from the Safety Doc, and welcome to Safety Doc Podcast number 56. The question, will it work? The Army and the Department of Homeland Security has teamed up to prepare teachers for active shooter situations by providing them with video games. So we'll, we'll talk about that during this segment. A little bit of a recap um, here on some recent events and just wish everybody a happy 2018. Happy and go Badgers! My alumni, Wisconsin Badgers, uh, won the Orange Bowl. So congratulations to the Wisconsin Badgers football team. Some anecdotes. We are in the middle of a cold snap right now. So as I look up over at the Safety Dock North Star weather dial, we are at about 54 degrees Fahrenheit. So it's chilly down here. Actually, I have a fireplace in the corner which I turn off when I do the show so I don't have background noise, so temp drops even more. Uh, so we've, we've been in this nap for about 7 to 10 days. It'll go on another 7 to 10 days, meaning you know, temperatures hovering right around that zero mark, getting down to minus 10, minus 12. Um, and then, of course, you have a wind chill added on top of that. It could be minus 20 and so forth. Um, a, a good part of this, though, a good part is this deep freeze might kill off some of the Japanese beetles that hibernate in the soil. And last year, boy, my trees really, really took a beating from the Japanese beetles. Uh, my, my birch tree was pretty much uh, devoured in a day. And they even went after my maple tree in the front, which is something, according to everything I looked on web, web searches, uh, Japanese beetles don't munch on maple trees, or they, they munched on the one in my front yard. So, um, hoping that, this deep freeze kind of takes care of that population. Um, I had an enjoyable and, and safe Christmas on Chris. Um, the, the first trip we did was up on yeah, the first part of Christmas. We went to my family, family, my parents and, uh, my, my family side, I guess. And, uh, when I go there, my dad assigns me the official role of being the photographer. So I need to bring along the tripod and use his camera. Use my camera, use my phone camera, and then you know, kind of compile compile some some photos, you know, some family photos, and, and uh, that's right away. You know, that's probably within ten minutes. Everybody gets there, you put things away and whatever, and it's like, let's get the photos done. So my job, my job, um, and uh, yeah, got some good ones. Um, actually, did order a new tripod off of Amazon.com and use Aaron Clary's affiliate link. Uh, so hopefully, Aaron, you got the commission off of that one. Um, so yeah, fun, fun time, fun time. Uh, also did a little bit of a trick, uh, with my parents. I was cleaning out over this Christmas break and found a cigarette lighter. I don't smoke, but you know, had a, a, you know, a cigarette lighter, a, um, a, a few other things, but th these little objects, um, left these up at my parents' house in inconspicuous places. So when they find these things, they'll wonder, they'll be like, who was here that might have left a cigarette lighter? So that'll go through their, their mind, you know, all innocuous stuff, kind of fun. So uh, we went to um, my mother-in-law's for Christmas also, and her brother, my, my wife's uh, brother, so my brother-in-law works as a geo engineer for Google, and we got into some uh, 
invigorating discussions about uh, artificial intelligence and singularity and, and topics like that. So had a, had a fun time. And he, my, my brother-in-law, for, for his, his son, he bought him a small robot for Christmas. And they brought this robot along. It's really cool because it would recognize you uh, by facial image. It would scan you, and then it would say, like, hello, David. And, and so, you know, it would pick up things and whatever. Just, just kind of neat. Um, you know, it more or less a, a toy and a, a novelty, but just to give a glimpse that you know it won't be that long, and and we'll have things like that, which will be every day. Um, so wow, wow. I I was working uh, today, actually, with communications uh, with producer uh, uh, Mark Mark Zamet, and he is right now um, filming and producing the movie Homeless Ashes, about homeless youth um, in Great Britain. He is an actor, producer, director. If you go into the IMBD and, and you can kind of, uh, you know, do a little bit of research on, on people who, who work in, in those areas, he has 32 credits to his name. I mean, very, very active um, in, as an actor, again, producer, director. We've been in contact throughout today, actually, and he'll be on the show, and he's going to talk about uh, what he's experienced in his um, putting this, this documentary together about homelessness and how it impacts youth. And we're going to talk about that from like a safety perspective and just some of the things that, that he had observed, um, you know, both directly and then kind of some behind-the-scenes things of, of safety and what he perceives as being some of the biggest safety factors. So I'm really excited about that. Again, um, producer Mark Zamet. Uh, Z-A-M-M-I-T, and you can find him on IMBD and soon listen to him on the Safety Doc podcast. So um, really excited. You know, it's, it's one of those things that's super cool about this job. I don't know if it's a job, hobby, um, public service, but I have met so many terrific people in 2017 uh, through podcasting from uh, Hector Solis to Larry Roberts to Marianne West um, you know, to Mark Zamet and, and, and so forth. Many people who have, have just helped me become, um, better at getting my message of safety across and, and just helping me on the technical aspects again of pod, podcasting and just people you become friends with and, and regularly communicate with. So, um, I, I want to send a thank you out to those folks and, and so many folks. Again, in 2017, who have positively impacted me and impacted the Safety Doc podcast. Thank you so much. Great things, great things um, for 2018. Really uh, can't wait for for the shows to start rolling out. So, um, yeah, today let's let's talk about today. So, uh, just a few days ago, the Army and the Department of Homeland Security announced that they were releasing cooperatively at no cost, a computer-based simulation that trains teachers how to best respond in an active shooter situation at a school. Okay, so this just came out. Um, now, something was released from FEMA two years ago on December 20th, 2015, called, uh, it was a class, it's a free course, anybody can take it, anybody, you could take it. You just go online, register with FEMA, and you can take these, a lot of FEMA courses that have to do with safety. People don't know that. Check it out. Just type in FEMA plus like free safety courses. And they have so many courses that cover a lot of things. Um, and they're really well done. I found them to be very well done. I actually include one in a graduate course um, for aspiring people services, special education directors on instant command systems. But anyway, the, this course that came out in 2015 from FEMA IS-907 Active Shooter what you can do. So a lot of you probably never heard of that course, and a lot of people in schools, teachers, administrators, never heard of that course. So right now we have um, this this announcement of the Department of Homeland Security and the Army jointly re releasing. This will be actually coming out more or less um, in, in later spring at no cost, this computer-based simulation, which is, when you really get into it, at this level, it's kind of more a video game, like a very primitive Call of Duty type video game. But... Um, it was actually two years ago, you know, like a, a very good resource came out, and I'm sure a lot of people just never knew it was out there and it wasn't utilized. So this is getting a little bit, a little bit more of a spotlight on it, and I think because it is in a video game format, it's going to be more engaging. Um, 
But again, there have been releases of, of trainings before that have come out of the government, which really like people just haven't been aware of. It's amazing because when I teach this college class, uh, I, I'm working with people who are already teachers and sometimes administrators. And when I mention these FEMA courses, they have no idea what I'm talking about. So again, check that out because there's so many courses available for free from FEMA that you can use to just make yourself, um, your knowledge base deeper when it comes to aspects of, of just safety and instant um, command systems and, and, and whatever. It, it's endless. They're always adding things. So, um, but what I'm going to do is I'm going to, I'm going to read and comment about a short article from Fox News about this video game initiative from the Army and, and Department of Homeland Security. So I looked, and there's a lot of articles out there. They're all the same. They're ubiquitous. It's the same exact thing, almost word for word. No one has analyzed this. So no one's come in and said, like, this. here's the pros, here's the cons, here's, like, you know, how this might fit with different things going on in society right now. What What's happening is the news is disseminating this. They're not analyzing it. They're not critiquing it. So that's one, you know, it's one thing to disseminate. Almost anybody can disseminate, you know. That's going to raise this armrest a little bit. This is the thing where, again, I got the wonky armrest. Like one is up, one is down, and still my shoulders seem seem off. I don't know. Um, it's the craziness of the Safety Doc podcast studio, I guess. But, yeah, so people um, get into disseminating information and, and not critiquing information. So <laughs> that was that was ironic because it would be like, you know, this, and, and you know, there'd be 10 other newspaper headings. I'd go in and click, and it was the same same article, same exact article. So, anyway, we're going to Fox News. And I'm going to read the article in just a second. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give my reaction throughout the article. Um and I want to share, when this initially came out, when this news came out, my first response was, ooh, like, I'm not, I, I wasn't that warm to this idea at all for a few reasons. But now, since some days have passed, I, I've kind of tempered that and have thought, okay, what are what are the positives of this? What are areas that are negatives? And then what's going to kind of be the unknown that will have to be figured out? And I was able to then categorize that. So we'll get into that. It's going to be the good, the bad, and kind of the to be determined once we, we go through this this article. So I'm going to read the article right now. This is the music that we play when we change to articles. All right, here we go. From Fox News, published December 27th, 2017. Okay, the U.S. Army and Department of Homeland Security have created a computer-based simulator that trains teachers on how best to react in an active shooter situation. So, okay, right there, what they've really done, like I've, I've gone and I've seen the, the snippets of it and the little video clips and, and things like that. It's basically a video game. It is a very early version of, of a Call of Duty-type game. So this thing where they're saying that it is a computer-based simulator, no, it's not VR. It's not like something that you climb into like, you know, they train pilots or anything like that. To say it's a computer-based simulator is kind of a stretch when really it's more or less a, a video game. So, um, but, you know, I, I'm just pointing that out. Could it evolve to be something that's delivered through virtual reality and all that? I'm, I'm sure it probably will and has that potential but right now you know it is it's really you know when i when i worked at a high school okay i worked at the lumber mill a few blocks from my house uh, when i got out of the summer i got out of high school earned some money before i went to school at fall and uh my job was to um put down um basically sticks uh to layer out uh, wood that would go into a kiln so it was me and, and another guy and we would do this and that was it and my job was called a lumber stacking technician and all i did was put boards on top of boards to go into a kiln so it's kind of this thing of, of sprucing this up a little bit but anyway let's go on the 5.6 million dollar program it's called the enhanced dynamic geosocial environment or edge is similar to those used by the Army, in which a virtual environment helps train soldiers in combat tactics and scenarios. Okay? Um, 
The program is expanding to schools to allow teachers and other school personnel to train for active shooters alongside first responders. Homeland Security officials said the school version should be ready for launch by spring. Okay, so this training alongside first responders, I, I, I don't quite get that. I don't, I didn't see that in any demos of the game. I don't know how that works. I don't know if like multiple people play at once and some of them are first responders that come in when I say play or, or participate in the game or if suddenly like first responders show up while you're playing this game and you have to figure out how you're going to interact with them. I, I don't know that that's fuzzy to me. And I, I don't, I, I, See, the, the thing is, you really need to plan for, like, the first eight minutes of an active shooter situation. Most conclude in eight to 15 minutes anyway. But, um, you know, once police are on the scene, you know, they're going to be actively trying to neutralize the shooter or shooters. So um, I, I, I just I, I don't quite understand that statement when it's like it'll it personnel to train for active shooters alongside first responders. So that's that's a little fuzzy to me. Again, I think that might be a little overreaching for the first release of this. But anyway, here's a quote. With teachers, they did not self-select into a role when they, uh, where they expect to have bullets flying near them, said Tamara Griffith, a chief engineer for the project. Unfortunately, this is another quote, it's becoming a reality. We want to teach teachers how to respond as first responders. Okay, so right there. Um yeah, I. The thing is, I, I guess who goes in unless you're police or army. I don't know if you into a role where you're expecting bolts to be flying around you. I mean, if you're working a shopping mall, music events, a grocery store. I mean, any place that shootings occur, which is everywhere, a church and, and things like that. So, um, places like that. I that statement to me, where she says, you know, with teachers, they do not self-select into a role. Well, that I mean, then this should really be made available to everybody in the public. Um, unfortunately, it's becoming a reality. Well, it's always been there, and I think the number of school shootings, it depends on how you look at how those are reported. They can look like they're really high, or they, they can look like there hasn't been much change in the trend line. I mean, if you're looking at specific events where somebody comes in and they target one person, like over a dispute, boyfriend, girlfriend, breakup, or something like that, that's counted as a school shooting versus, like, what is a mass shooting? The mass shooting numbers certainly would be much lower. Um, but, again, I I, I just I, I don't think, you know, her statement here, we want to teach teachers how to respond as first responders, really kind of meets what this is trying to do. But, but the project manager, so this is someone who was an engineer of the project, but the project manager, he his statement I really like. So here we go. Bob Walker, the project manager, okay, Bob Walker, project manager, said the program was designed to put a teacher in a situation similar to an active shooter scenario. Each teacher will get seven options on how to keep students safe, and some in the program might not respond or be too afraid to react. That in itself becomes another problem to be solved. Uh, absolutely right. So what, what Bob is talking about here, you know, not – people not reacting, um, and, and this whole process of, you know, when you are reacting, you're having to evaluate decisions or heuristics, and that all kind of boils down to situational awareness, being aware of what's happening around you, your context, and your situ situation. So what he's saying is, is he's saying, hey, this is really made to teach two things. One is situational awareness, that you're much more aware of your environment at all times, which I believe I am. And hopefully, because you've been listening and following the show, you're more aware of what's happening around you at all times, in all environments. Um, and the other part of this is that if something does happen, which becomes a potential threat to your safety or the safety of others um, in your care, you know, your family or, you know, students or whatever, that you're able to make a decision and you don't freeze. Some people, um, one Another part of this that comes into question is, is discretion. You know, like what is the discretion afforded to people to make decisions? Some people won't make decisions. I've, I've been in meetings where teachers have said, I won't decide to fight back unless I'm given permission, like right now, or, or I want it in writing, like in policy, that I have permission to fight back if somebody is, you know, breaks into my room and I feel threatened or something like that. Yeah, that actually has happened. So, um, 
so it's situational awareness and also decision making, getting people to make a decision that not making any decision is not an option. You have to make you have to make a decision. Rory Miller has several books out there, uh, conflict communication uh, books. If you if you do a search for him, and I like Rory's work. He also trains um, prison guards, and something he states is that it takes a while um, for prison guards to to realize, like if they've been attacked by a prisoner several seconds can pass before they fully realize what's happening to them. They kind of freeze and and they, they skip through in their mind of their training and, and what to do and what not to do versus like just, you know, reacting and, um, a, a, you know, a quickie a recognition of, okay, I am under attack. I need to respond. And so he talks about how to break out of that. And that's something, again, this project is doing Bob Walker, the project manager. There's two things. One is teaching situational awareness, being aware. The second is if something happens to quickly evaluate the options that you have, go through your heuristics and then make a decision. Okay. So, um, he adds, once you hear the children screaming, it makes it very, very real. Well, m- yeah, maybe, maybe. I mean, again, it, this is, this is a, a video game, you know, I've, I've played video games which have been ultra, ultra realistic. Um, so whether that adds to this being real, this gets into that kind of philosophy, I think, which is a, a little bit off base or a lot off base when you get to um, schools that, that do these very th- theatrical drills and kids are done up in blood and all of that of like, this is going to be more effective. Well, we know that those are not more effective um, statistically, people aren't remembering more of those, um, trainings and, you know, they are resulting in trauma. So anyway, I'm going to move on just a little bit here yet. The program can have the shooter be either an adult or a child. And the other part he adds, which is, which is right on, we have to worry about both children and adults being suspects. True. Like you're not going to know who really is the shooter and who's not and if there are other shooters involved so that's something you know when you think about active shooter almost all these drills are designed so there's one shooter well what if there's three or four and what you know and and you don't know that and there and suddenly you know student is involved in the shooting and quickly sheds the the weapon and has his you know regular school clothing on and um so you're not you're not going to be able to identify this i think as easy as what people think. And he kind of points that out. Um, and we've seen this happen, you know, like at shopping mall shootings where suddenly multiple people pull out a gun and it's like, you know, initially somebody fires something. Well, you know, now 10 people have out guns was one of them firing or they all just doing that for defense or whatever. So, um, all right. Uh, the designers of the program listened to real dispatch tapes from school shootings and talked to a mother of a child killed in a 2012 mass shooting at Sandy Hook Elementary in Newton, Connecticut. That shooting left 20 children and six educators dead after gunman Adam Lanza opened fire in the school. So, um, I'm not, I'm, I'm not sold on the fact that listening to dispatch tapes was, was a good way to get your information for this training. I think it would have been much better and maybe they did this, but they referenced these dispatch tapes. I, I think if you go through the forensic analysis of Sandy Hook, um, for example, you know, which is hundreds, if not thousands of pages. I mean, I've seen them online and, and, and physical diagram, you know, documents and, Here's something I learned, you know, in my research about um, uh, Custer's last stand at Little Bighorn. You know, they they went in and and were able to with metal detectors and different forensic tools go in and find match up gun uh, bullet casings um, and, and track movement across the battlefield and basically lay things out um, in a, a very forensic type manner. So I don't think dispatch tapes, and I'm not sure what the the value of that talking to mother would have been, um, because again the event would have been concluded by the time the mother would have known. And I I I, I just see there's pieces of this I, I I'm not sure. And again, you they they quote things, so people say things. This isn't a press release, unfortunately, from Homeland Security as as much 
as it's some talking points or I, I, I don't know. I don't quite gather this. I, I think this could have been released in a way that was much more coherent, maybe had some like specific bullet points or some statistics or something like that. So, um, yeah, I, I don't know. It's a, it's a little sloppy the way this, this came out. So anyway, um, you know what? We are going to get into some reactions to that that I pull off the net. But before we do that, we're going to learn more about the Safety Doc podcast. Thank you for tuning in to the Safety Doc podcast with the nation's leading safety expert, Dr. David Perodin, author, radio show host, university instructor, researcher, expert witness, and consultant. Powerful testimonials. Dr. Perodin has a strong reputation as the go-to safety consultant, and he was still able to exceed our expectations. When we went looking for an expert in the field of crisis preparedness and prevention, David was the single person we pursued. Not easy stepping into the touchier subjects of life, but Dr. David pulls it off. Take a listen. Now... Back to Dr. David Perodin and the Safety Doc Podcast. What in the hell was that all about? And we are back. All right. So, a lot of comments in the different um, articles that were posted specific to this. So what I like to do is go through the comment section because you can you can get a pretty good feel for the reaction of the public. And there were basically you know, kind of four themes that developed. And I pulled out some different um, comments, and I'm going to read those and, and, and dissect those a little bit more. So first comment, a couple of training sessions will only allow teachers to know what they should do but not act. It takes daily training to allow one to enter into an active combat scenario and be expected to survive. So, um, you know, there were, there were a number of posts, um, kind of in this, this thread of saying, you know, this one time training isn't going to instantly convert these teachers over to, um, having these, these combat type skills, you know, that to say that you're taking a military program, which you train all the time in the military for military conflict, <laughs> you know, part of the job. So, um, and I have friends, for example, I, so I agree with this statement, this person's statement and others similar to it, because I have friends who are police officers who say, you know, Dave, we, we have to get out to the firing range at least every few weeks, um, and, and make sure that our skills are sharp. And I think they're tested four times a year, um, that they have to, to, you know, have a certain accuracy level. But they really say on their own they need to go out and do much more frequent than that. And also that they're drilling much more. So, yeah, you know, this is one of those things where the question starts to pop up of this training, you know, like if it's done once, is that sufficient? If it's done twice, three times, what's the frequency? Is it one person doing it? Does it turn into VR? Does it become multiple people doing it? I, I don't know. I go back to, I, I stated once in a previous podcast, the tabletop activities are terrific ways to train for crisis situations, including active shooter. And I believe they still, um, have the upper hand over a training like this. Maybe a training like this, it has some value of being a tool, um, in that, but I, I, I'm a little bit worried, um, again, that this could be something that a school latches onto and says, we've done this training, we've had everybody go through it. And then, you know, it's kind of a one and done. So here's the second quote. Um, when are they going to address the real problem and stop blaming firearms? So it wasn't identified really who the they was, except is, it's probably government because it's Department of Homeland Security and the Army releasing this. Address the real problem, which is blaming, address the real problem, which I don't know what that is. I wish they would have explicitly said that. You know, is the real problem a lack of mental health? Is it poverty? Is it, you know, government oppression? I don't know what this person's thinking, but 
There were a number of posts along this this thread, though a number of posts along this this thread, and and so I I think I want to expand this and say I think the real the real problem or or, or where this needs to go is we don't have a very good detection system for this, and yet we know time and time again for active shooter situations that the active shooter likely talked to somebody else or multiple people. Not only days, but sometimes months ahead of time. There was a shooting in 1997 in Bethel, Alaska. I believe like 24 kids knew about it ahead of time. Showed up at the school on a mezzanine waiting for it to happen. One kid brought a camera. Another kid or two even taught the kid carrying out the shooting how to use a gun, a shotgun, I believe, that he had gotten from like a relative. So how to load it and things like that. So anyway, people know. And, and I think we find this even in, in shootings, you know, that are, are public shootings, whether they be at, you know, church, you know, whether it be going after a political figure, whatever it is, that there were signs out there. So we need to ramp up the detection systems and also, so what are the signs to look for and how to report those? And, and there's no mention of that throughout this work at all. That's, or how this would couple with that. That's the other part of like, I would have liked to have seen in this article or some press release saying this is stage one or like this is how this will interface with a threat identification and training and reporting system or, or process or something like that. So that wasn't there. So let's get into number three. So number number three, as far as a comment, and these are, again, excerpts that I pulled out. Um this one was in more than 50% of all of the posts, this this theme. Okay, here we go. Firearms stand next in importance to the Constitution itself. They are the American people's liberty teeth and keystone under independence. From the hour the pilgrims landed to the present day, events, occurrences, and tendencies prove that to ensure peace, security, and happiness, the rifle and pistol are equally indispensable. The very atmosphere of firearms everywhere restrains evil interference. They deserve a place of honor with all that is good. This is quoted from George Washington, although I don't know if the person, if this is an authentic quote from George Washington or not. So, but that was the majority. The majority of responses to this were um, specific to the Second Amendment and specific to this is a, a step into, um, you know, blaming firearms, that we're going to see a movement to get rid of firearms, limit firearms. And I'll say those responses were typically longer. You know, like this is a solid paragraph and some were, you know, two paragraphs. They were the longest responses that were generated by far. So you can get a feel for where the public is at. Even though, again, this, this didn't touch on, this article didn't touch on, we're going to take your guns away. And I, I, I just, and I, 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 I laugh for the fact that, you know, if you even come close to that, you, you have a very strong response from Second Amendment supporters. And I'm not saying I'm pro Second Amendment or, or anti. Second Amendment. I'm, I'm not saying that at, at all in any positionality in this. I'm just saying that I, I think people who write these articles are very, very aware of the language they, they use because they know that um, if they get anywhere close into the Second Amendment, that that is an issue that is immediately going to, to come up. So um, now, you know, the other part of this, though, is I think people reading this I, I didn't pull out of this at all a, a sense that, you know, there was the statement of, yeah, this is happening more often, which is, you know, probably a leading statement. But, it, again, it, it it really got a pretty strong re- – I mean, this is what I would expect if there was an article that came out of saying, you know, here's someone or a congressional, you know, group that is proposing a limitation or a ban on certain types of guns or the number of guns you can own. I'm like, I'm, this is what I would expect for something like that. So let's get into the last one. This one is more of of um, kind of a nihilistic view of the world, and there were a number of these type of posts too. I'm going to read this one. There are some things that exist solely to destroy anything that does not agree with it. There is evil in the truest 
form. The problem with this evil is that it does not passively exist. It actively consumes and will devour all that you cherish if it is not met with an appropriate force. There are evils that exist only to devour love, disrupt peace, and demolish all you hold dear. It will slash the other cheek that you turn. That reminds me of the movie The Dark Knight, part of the Batman trilogy, where um, I think, what was it, Alfred said, um, some men just want to see the world burn. So, um, so yeah, you kind of got into some deep philosophical statements of saying, you know what, if someone is determined, you can't stop them. They're going to find a way, and if you harden one target, you know, like this specifically has to do with um, active shooter situations. Well, what if someone wants to take a vehicle and plow into kids on a sidewalk um, getting out of school? So, you know, one thing over Christmas my brother and I talked about, he goes to a number of games at Lambeau Field in Green Bay, and he said just recently, you know, he, he was talking about when he's crossing Lombardi Avenue, which is in front of the stadium, after a game, I mean, it's really it's really busy, it's slow, and you have 80,000 people leaving the stadium. If there was somebody to, you know, initiate uh, an active shooter situation, he was he talked about the people he goes with. Of, here's what I would do. You know, here's what I'm going to do. If someone suddenly jumps out of a vehicle driving up and down Oneida Street, or Oneida crosses to, it's Oneida and Lombardi cross right by the stadium. Um, here's what I would do. You know, discussions he would have never had. And I went to games, you know, in the 80s and 90s with discussions we never had back then that you have to have now. So interesting, interesting um, statements that were coming out in, in the comments section. So now I'm going to get into uh, the good, the bad, and the to be determined. But first, thank you so much for listening to the Safety Doc podcast. We get rid of the rhetoric. We get you the facts. We make you and your family safer. Thank you for tuning in to the Safety Doc Podcast with the nation's leading safety expert, Dr. David Perodin, author, radio show host, university instructor, researcher, expert witness, and consultant. Powerful testimonials. Dr. Perodin has a strong reputation as the go-to safety consultant, and he was still able to exceed our expectations. When we went looking for an expert in the field of crisis preparedness and prevention, David was the single person we pursued. Not easy stepping into the touchier subjects of life, but Dr. David pulls it off. Take a listen. Now, back to Dr. David Perodin and the Safety Doc Podcast. What in the hell was that all about? Da, 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 dun, 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 dun. The good. Okay, the good. From this, the good. Video games are actually a great way to learn. You can go back to my podcast number 18, Safety Doc Podcast 18, with university professor Dr. Sean Dicker. He's an expert in multiplayer video games and using video games in the classroom and video games just in general as a learning format, teaching tool. So we know that video games have been effective um, not only in schools but in nursing homes and helping people increase their uh, cognitive skills and decision-making alertness. So we know that video games are, are a good way to, to approach learning. And it sounds like you know, this was done in a way that, that you know, the, the games have all the, the approaches installed in them you, you know, lead you through your, your first steps and building upon those and, you know, to, to gain your confidence and, and lead you into decision-making and future awareness and sharpen your awareness skills. So, so anyway, to go to this platform, I think, is a good move. I think it's a good move because most of us have played video games. 97% of kids report they play video games every week. Kids are graduating and they're becoming the teachers. And I played video games. I'm 46. When I was in college, I dominated at Madden football. Dominated, except for the overtime game where I had the Washington Redskins. My roommate Nate had the Chicago Bears. I had three field goals blocked in overtime. And I lost. 
but I did uh, return uh, a couple games later to win the Sega Super Bowl 55 48 on a fourth down conversion to Packers wide receiver Sterling Sharp. So anyway, video games are a great way to learn. So this is a good move. It's a good move into, into that. Number two, this is a stepping stone to multi-person virtual reality trainings that can be calibrated for variables and injects. The system is not... It, so this system is only a first attempt, okay? it's Again, it's more of a primitive video game thing, but you could get this into kind of a multi-person virtual reality, you know, that that's that's very much out there right now, you know, the, the VR systems where you wear the, the goggles and... Um, and you can you could get to the point with this where you could start to do injects where you could say okay like right now it's like all the power is going to go out or the fire alarm is going to sound or something like that so so you could throw things like that in there so i i like that i like that i think that that is going to be a natural progression of this so um that's good number 3 um under the good this will be free to schools and I expect there's obviously going to be training materials that will go with this. So that is great because commercially somebody could easily go to a district and say, listen, we'll come in, we'll bring all of the video game stuff, that, and, and you know we will make this available for $5,000, and we will train all of your staff over an in-service day, and they'll all get to participate in this. And they'll get a certificate and all of that, and boom, you know, one and done. We'll take care of everything for you. People just have to show up in this, you know, these rooms, and and we'll do it. So, which happens right now for other types of trainings? These these high drama scenarios of you know these semi-military type people coming in and doing these trainings, which are very expensive. And I, I I'm not a believer in those trainings because I just do not feel the research, the empirical evidence is there to support that those are any more effective than, for example, tabletop trainings or having a thorough discussion through these things. So anyway, um, it's free and it's provided by the, the government. If it is similar to the FEMA type trainings, I, I think they will be quality. So, um, you know, the comprehensive training. Number four, this doesn't have the unnecessary drill trauma that has become so common with theatrical school shooting multi-agency trainings, which have prompted litigation by staff and students and also police departments. Police departments are backing out of these things now, saying we're not going to participate in this, you know, training where we have, uh, where we come busting through the door and you have five people lying on the ground as if they've been shot, covered in fake blood because of the risk of the exposure to litigation. We're not doing it. That That's happening. Um, so I think this this is a way to to throttle down from that. And the good, my point number five, this will generalize, I believe, in time to mall workers, retail workers, um, you know, churches, it eventually grocery stores, things like that. It, it's it's going to be as common as like bloodborne pathogens. And if it's free, it might be something that every employer has as you know their staff take on. You know what again? You know what if it's retail, whatever. So. Um, I think this is, is good. It will, it will spread it and then more people will become aware. And again, we really have two things we want to get out of this, which is such increasing situational awareness and increasing, um, decision-making. When I say that, meaning like you're, you're making decisions faster, you're going through your options faster and you're, you're making your decisions based upon your context and your situation, not freezing, not freezing. So, um, the bad, here's the bad, All right? I've got five things under the bad. Number one, most school shooters told someone or made some social media posts days or months ahead of time. So we need to focus on improving threat detection and threat input systems. And, and that, that by doing that, that will have a powerful impact on preventing school shootings. So this is reactive, and it, it's missing out on this opportunity in, in the Army. You know, I mean, the Army does this, of course, in the Department of Homeland Security of surveillance and, and, and the, the signs that they look for. But, again, we need a training to come out, which is how to identify threats and how to report 
those threats and, and look at our user input systems. Like I've always said, school user input systems, some of them are just like tell a teacher, tell an adult. And the other ones, um, a number of them have language, um, vocabulary, vernacular, register, whatever, which is just, it's too high. I mean, it's written at a university level and not at a school age level. So number two in the bad. Using dispatch recordings to construct the scenarios is incomplete. Okay. So there are also, um, there also aren't many options and no schools are similar in physical layout. So in this game, I think that you have like big school, little school. I mean, it's not like you can go through 50 school settings. You're going to have a different layout, like your school A, B, C, D, and they're all going to have different layouts. You will never have your school layout in there. I mean, eventually you could get to a point where, you know, through VR and and 3D, you know, you, you could go down and, and have your own hallways put in and stuff like that. It's probably down the road, but right now it's basically like big school, little school. So it's not that customizable. And all school staff are different. Um, the discretion afforded staff, the, the uh, philosophy of a principal, so all those things are going to really impact safety reaction. And then the other trainings that staff have had and how, um, you know, familiar they are with, you know, instant command system structure. Um, if they've had trainings in student mental health first aid, maybe they can identify symptoms um, earlier. It, so there, there, there are a lot of factors that, that go into making a very robust, complete safety system versus just saying, and, and some schools might do this, of saying this is out, it's free, it's from the government, we want everybody to take it. This is our safety training for active shooter. And I can guarantee there will be some schools that will do that. Um, so number three, I couldn't discern the opportunity for the participant to ask questions. For example, um, somebody playing one of these video, playing using one of these video game scenarios. So, so they're engaged in it and they get done. And then if you have a question, like, what do I do if I get caught in the hallway between classrooms and this person comes breaking in through the door into the school? Or like I, you're not going to get an answer through this. Like I didn't hear the PA announcement for an all school lockdown. That'll never be a part of this. Okay. So those are questions that you need to have a forum for those to come forward. So that's why you do regular drills and you have questions immediately after the drill, immediately after, and you require teachers, you know, like this has to be. Here's like five questions about the drill. Like, where were you when it happened? Did you hear the announcement of, of that? Um, do, you know, did your students understand? Did they have any questions? You're asking them, um, you know, were you behind a, a locked door? Was one in, you know, proximal to you? And I mean, you can go down and you can identify these things, but you're going to, this is one of these things which you would never capture if your PA system uh, people don't even know of the drill. And how many times does that happen? Every school I've worked with, it, it's almost, it happens somewhere where someone's like, I, I was in this corner of the building at this time and I didn't hear it or like it didn't come over my phone or like this, I can't hear it because it's in the speaker in the hallway. And, and so whatever, that doesn't come through. So um, you need ways to have input. People ask questions basically compared to just giving them this training that they go through. You have to be able to ask questions and have those clarified. Number number four, what about a vehicle rubbing down a packed sidewalk? So, again, this this is linear. This is saying a training for an active shooter. So you're going to get people thinking that way, and it's going to be like one active shooter. Um, but, again, we know there's a trend right now toward using vehicles. So that's out there. Um, this is where you really have to change your emphasis on this. I think where was it Bob Walker, the project manager, whatever said, um, kind of more into situational awareness where this generalizes out. But again, you know, or or what if it's at a bus stop or something like that? So I, I think you, you you get very narrow, very narrow into things like this. So that that'd be the bad, and the bad number five. The majority of commenters are strong strongly arguing that this initiative is a threat to the Second Amendment. So we see a loss of focus on the intended purposes of this training, um, you know, of this video game, which is one, 
situational awareness, increasing situational awareness, and number two, accelerating contemplation of heuristics or your options, making decisions. So um, we, we, and I think maybe overtly at that point, and I don't know if anybody goes in and reads the comment sections of these things. I really don't. Um, you know, who puts these articles out in, in the Army and Department of Homeland Security. Um, but I think you have to be pretty explicit in, in anticipating this and then also saying this does not mean that we are, you know, saying anything about a school district or states or county or whatever, you know, right to pass legislation or protocol or policy that someone can carry a gun if there's, I mean, that, you know, hey, that is, we're not getting into that, you know, with this. We are, we are getting into situational awareness and, and reaction as it has to do with active shooter situations. Um, and maybe even the part of this that I would have changed, I think, instead of using active shooter, I probably would have used intruder because you would respond the same way if it was an intruder situation. You know, somebody breaks in to a building and let's say it's a custody issue and someone's just, you know, out of, out of control, angry, and and come in, and and you know they they come in. You don't know if they have a weapon, if they haven't presented a weapon, um, and, and you know how you would respond to that. So, I, 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 I think you need because right now the people who have posted those comments, the fifty percent of people who had posted the comments were at Second Amendment. They're they're against this, and they've tuned this out. This is a step. This is infringement. This is a step onto to sacred soil. And, you know, you need to get those people back either at least aware and educated and maybe some of them on board with what you're trying to do here. So um, I think that's important. So number three here is um, to be determined. So time will, time will tell on these things. One is, okay, so we know that drill fatigue is, is a real phenomenon, and this it's a it's um, drills are often perceived as a novelty by staff and students after, you know, you do your three, four, five fire drills. It's like, Oh, it's a fire drill. And we'll go. And I, this is from my research it, in my doctoral dissertation. I found studies that, you know, prove this. And um, it was in Amanda Ripley's book about um, the evacuation of the twin towers during the nine 11 attacks where a number of people on, on floors would, you know, they they didn't go to their evacuation sites, which were by the stairwells. They they stayed at their desk because it's like, ah, we have the drill. It, it sounds, and we know four minutes later they'll give the all clear. So we're just going to stay where they're at. And then whoever was in charge of that floor to make sure that people got out to the the area by the steps, you know, they didn't enforce it after a while because it was an inconvenience to everybody. So it's just kind of walking around and checking. And, okay, if this was real, here's what we do. So it's one of those things, too, where I think because it's a video game, it could be perceived as a novelty. And, again, people have probably done stuff like this. If they view, A lot of people are into gaming. And if you're into, again, I'm just saying Call and I'm saying Call of Duty is, that Call of Duty is bad. I'm just saying because I know Call of Duty is a game, of course, where you, you have to exercise situational awareness and it is a combat-type game um, that it involves being very aware of your environment and, you know, that, that, you know, you could be shot um, and others around you could be shot. So it's not like this is going to be new to anybody who's gaming. And again, it's one of those things that if you, if you don't couple it appropriately with dialogue and a preface, it's, it's not really going to have much effect. And, and if it becomes a novelty, then it really loses its power. Um, so, Number two, as the to be determined, there is a risk that this could be perceived as an all-inclusive training when it is only a tool, a tool to really help sharpen situational awareness and force people to make decisions. So um, that's that's the thing, too, is will schools latch on to this, some schools, and say, wow, this is free, this is better than what we've had, so we're going to have people go through this, and this will be the training. When, again, this really doesn't lay itself out to be like the all-inclusive training. We, you need to know your local practices go, your own building. Um, there There's so many factors that go into an all-inclusive um, active shooter or intruder training versus just this. So um, point number three, I have little idea on how this will be used for interagency training exercises. I said that during the article. 
I, I don't know. And I, I think it's better to, to take a class like from FEMA. You can do a free class. You can have people do it together. It takes like two, three hours professional development. They have instant command system class. Um, just so people know and, and also have law enforcement come in and have that discussion of like, here's, for example, one of the best things was when law enforcement came in to a school I was working at and said, you know, if you come out into the hallway, running toward us if there's an active shooter situation and you say hey like i've got a classroom of kids or like i you know the person went that way and you come out you know running in the hallway the police are probably throwing you up against the wall because they don't know if you are involved in this as a as the shooter or not so um you know those are the types of discussions that that really need to to happen so i, I don't know how this will fit into interagency and that that puzzles me so number four Will we see increased focus on threat identification and threat reporting systems? I don't know. I think we should. But, again, if that doesn't happen and this happens, we've just increased resources and a spotlight on a reactive measure versus a proactive measure, which is identifying the threats and reporting the threats. So I hope we see that develop and couple into this. Number five, as this evolves to full virtual reality, how will VR sets be funded? I mean, some schools are going to be able to afford it and some aren't, so let's just face it. And is this where the haves and the have-nots, the schools that have the resources will be able to fund it, the ones that don't, don't? Or will this be something where they'll be housed in a centralized location? Some school, you know, there's there's like a cooperative educational service agency that, has so many schools it's responsible for, Department of Ed in that school, in, in that state, and then these systems rotate from school to school. I don't know. I don't know how that works. So that'll be interesting to see. I want to wrap things up here by saying thank you so much for a wonderful 2017. I've enjoyed the feedback. Please feel free to follow me on I encourage you to follow me on Twitter at SafetyPhD, at SafetyPhD. Check out the website, SafetyPhD.com, SafetyPhD.com. And, again, the podcasts are all out there on Podbean, really enjoying Podbean. Um, everything is on YouTube. And if you have any questions, please contact me directly. You have my email uh, information on the website, and I'd be glad to respond to you, post in the comment threads and so forth. Thank you. Let's keep the rhetoric out of safety. Keep yourself safe in 2018. And uh, I'm just looking for this cold spell to end because uh, my hands are my hands are dry. My, there's no moisture. There's like zero humidity left in the house. So um, we, we need it to get warm, which is 20 degrees right now. That is what we are classifying as warm. So take care, everybody, and thank you again for listening to this episode of the Safety Doc Podcast, episode 56 of the show. And um, our title here, Will It Work? Army and Department of Homeland Security Prep Teachers for Active Shooters with Video Games. Thank you so much. <laughs>